And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, on the Fleet Matthews Radio Show. Thank you for listening and tuning in wherever you are around the world. David Bell is with us today. He's the author of seven novels, including his latest uh, work, Bring Her Home. Uh, his work has been translated into numerous foreign languages, and in 2013, he won the prestigious uh, uh, Pre-Polar International Decognac uh, for the uh, best crime novel by an international author. That's huge. Uh, he is the Associate Professor of English at Western Kentucky University, where he directs the MFA program in creative writing. Uh, he's a native of Cincinnati, Ohio, where he currently lives in Bowling Green, Kentucky, with his wife, uh, who is also a writer, uh, Molly McCaffrey. How are you, my friend? I am doing well. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So talk to me about uh, Bring Her Home. Uh, this is um, uh, a thriller, and um, it, uh, it it takes place just about a, a year and a half of the tragic death of uh, uh, the uh, antagonist, uh, his wife, uh, Bill uh, Price, uh, his 15-year-old daughter. Walk us, walk us through a little bit of that without giving everything away. Well, when the book opens, uh, Bill, who's the main character, um, his daughter, Summer, who's 15 years old, has been missing along with her best friend, whose name is Haley. They've been missing for about 48 hours. And in the very first chapter of the book, Bill has received a phone call from the police saying, you need to get to the hospital. We found your daughter. But he doesn't know when he shows up at the hospital what that means, what kind of condition and uh, what, what's going on. And so when he gets to the hospital, he's told by the police that they found her daughter in this, his daughter in this park. Um, but she has been severely beaten, and she's in a coma, and her friend Haley is dead at the scene. So now Bill has to figure out what happened to his daughter. Why? Why was she in this park that is kind of a kind of a skeevy, questionable park? Um, and who did this to her? And he's unable to talk to her because she's unable to speak to anyone. So he's kind of on his own figuring out what what caused these two girls to get attacked this way. Wow, that's a that's a movie. I can see that's going to be turned into a movie because that's a good a good story. Because there's a lot going on. One, it's the father trying to find out and and finding out really for the first time, you know, some of the things that his daughter was involved in, and and you know, having teenage daughters that's that's crazy. Uh, uh, talk to us a little bit about that because here's what's interesting about. Uh, your work is you write about uh, 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 relationships between parents and, 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 and their kids, but you don't have any. And so this is amazing how you're able to do this so well. Is that, does that come from your family, uh, uh, brothers and sisters, and, 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 and your, uh, your familial uh, upbringing? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't have children, but I – I have been a child. I, some people think I'm still a child, but but I have <laughs> been a child. Um, you know, I know what it was like to be a child and to be a teenager. I think no one ever really forgets being a child and being a teenager. Those those years are so vivid and formative. And and I you know I had parents and I I knew what it was like to have a relationship with my parents and a relationship with my siblings. And, and now um, I have seven nieces and nephews. 
um, who are who are various ages from 14 up to 29. So I've watched all of them grow up, and I've watched them relate to their parents, and I have friends who have kids. So uh, and I teach college students. So so I'm I'm feel surrounded by young people. And I find their I find their relationships with their parents and with each other fascinating. And I think that being in a family, being a child, is a universal experience. We all have a family, whether whether it's a great family or if it's a lousy family. Um, we all we all have families. We all have that experience. And we all know that families are places where yeah, we can find incredible love and incredible support um, and incredible warmth and all these things. But families can also be uh, sources of frustration and anger and difficulty, sometimes in the same family. You can be in a great family and still encounter frustrations and difficulties and, and, and whatever. So, so there's a lot of rich material in families and family relationships. And I think that's just why I return to it time and again because there's just so much there to talk about sure sure absolutely it's the human experience isn't it yeah i mean and even if even when we leave home and we're no longer living with our families you kind of end up in other families you know maybe you have a work mm -hmm. family or maybe your friends are like family to you or whatever or you have in-laws who, who become like family so so you're always in some kind of family situation uh, and they're always complicated. No, no question about that. Um, now, uh, Bill has a sister who's also, you know, deeply torn over what's, what has happened. Uh, what is her role in, 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 in assisting Bill and, and, and supporting Bill in this? Yeah, so Bill, Bill is kind of like me in this regard. I have, a, I have an older brother and sister, and, um, and, and I feel close to them, but, but I'm – one of those people who's really lousy at staying in touch with people. You know, mm -hmm. I'm really, I'm not good at like, you know, just calling people up out of the blue and saying, Hey, I was thinking of you, how you doing? You know, whatever. Um, so Bill kind of has that relationship with his sister Pooh in that, yeah, they, they were really close as children and they really care about each other, but, but they haven't been in close contact. And so when this happens to summer, and Bill needs someone to reach out to, and he needs someone to be there for him. He turns to his sister, and she comes to town, and so she plays an important role in the book because, on the one hand, she's the person who who understands Bill the best and tries to um, tries to help him deal with his anger and his frustration with the investigation. On the other hand, uh, Paige sometimes sees things and does things and asks questions that Bill is reluctant to ask. And I think, you know, we all need people like that in our lives, the people who are willing to ask us um, or make us face the tough questions and the tough things we want to try to avoid. Mm -hmm. And so she plays that very important role in the story of, of moving the plot along by sometimes addressing things that are really uncomfortable and unpleasant for Bill. 
yeah, Bill really doesn't want to see this side of his daughter, and 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 he has to deal with it in his, you know, as as a as an adult, as a father, uh, and then as a, a a grieving parent. That's a lot to that's a lot to have to deal with and and find out and figure out. And then of course the 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 question is is you know uh, why didn't you know am I a good parent? Why didn't I see this? Uh, you know. How could this happen to me? You know, I, I raised her right. All of those are things that, uh, you know, we, we as parents we 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 deal with when our our children when we find out uh, that our children are you know sometimes in nefarious uh, situations. Yeah, and Bill has, um, you know, like you said at the beginning, Bill's wife, Summer's mother, has died a year and a half before the book opens, so. When when his wife Julia was alive, Bill kind of allowed Julia to handle the heavy lifting of the day-to-day parenting. You know, he allowed her to talk to Summer about her friends and talk to Summer about school. With his wife gone, now Bill is a single parent. He's mm-hmm. having to play that large role. And then not only that, you've got the the somewhat awkwardness of a father and a teenage daughter. So, mm-hmm. so maybe a 15-year-old daughter doesn't want to go to her dad and talk about boys or sex or birth control or things like that. Mm-hmm. And so so Bill is finding out that maybe he's been a little too checked out. Maybe he's been not as in touch as he needed to be. And And I really think that in terms of how Bill changes in the course of the book, that's that's his journey is is coming to realize in the course of the book that that he needs to fully embrace and take on this role of single parent, that he needs to be there and present and he needs to understand everything about his daughter, not just the parts that he wants to see or the parts that are comfortable for him. He has to see the whole thing because, I mean, a 15-year-old, I know a 15-year-old is still a kid, but that's also getting really close to adulthood, and there are a lot of adult things that 15-year-olds can do. So so mm-hmm. he needs to see that whole picture. And it's also a great father-daughter story and a story of unconditional love, and, you know, uh, it, it's it's a very powerful piece. Well, I mean, you know, there's that old saying that home is the place that when you go there, they have to take you in, right? So um, I think we see that dynamic. We see that between Paige and Bill, that these two people who sometimes have a strained relationship still love each other and are there for each other. And then the same thing with Bill and Summer, that even though the relationship is complicated and there are things that, that they don't understand about each other, and that they've each made mistakes in the relationship. In the end, there's that foundation of love or unconditional love, as you said. And as long as they have that, um, they have something to build upon. So, mm-hmm. so I do think it's very much a family story and a father-daughter story in that way. Absolutely. So, so how long? I mean, you, you've written obviously several several novels. What is your what is your process of how do you uh, get inspired to uh, uh, to a story, uh, and then creating those characters. How, what, what is what is your process, and what was your process of writing this this novel? 
Well, I, you know, it starts just with the basic spark of an idea. You know, what, what if this happened? It, it's just kind of a what if game. What if, mm-hmm. so in this case, what if two girls disappeared and they were found beaten and the parents could not communicate with them and had to, had to piece this together on their own. So I just start with that. What if really difficult, really challenging situation. And then I usually end up making a pretty detailed outline of the book of where I think the book is going to go. And then, and then I write it. And sometimes in the course of writing it, things come up that were not in the outline, things that surprise me or things that were unexpected. People start doing things I didn't expect them to do. And I'm open to that. I don't have to stick to the outline. Uh, but the outline is a, is a comfort to have there. It's kind of like having a map when you go on a road trip. Mm-hmm. Um, so, then I, so then I write that and, and do a couple of drafts of that. And then it ends up going to various people who read my work. My wife will read early drafts. My agent will read early drafts. And then it goes to my editor. And then there's more revising with my editor. So, so the whole thing usually takes about a year from, from the very beginning of the idea to actually finally saying this thing is as finished as it can possibly be and it's time for, for it to go, go be printed and come out. Now, your wife is a writer as well. What is that like? Um, to, to, I mean, you know, you, you, you would think that you guys would never come to any reasonable conclusions, uh, but you do. How is that possible? Well, I always, you obviously you know, pick I the right the, gal. Oh yeah, sure. I, I, uh, I teach at a university and my students always want advice about, uh, how to be a writer. And I always say, well, don't marry another writer. You know, you should marry someone who's an engineer uh, or a business major or something like that so that you have somebody who has reliable income to support you. Um, so, so there's, there's uncertainty because writing is, is a fairly uncertain business at times. Um, but the, but the certainty is, is that at least I live with someone who understands what I'm going through. I mean, I think people who aren't writers or who don't know writers well, don't know, what it's like to live with someone who's in this weird business and, and, and the ups and downs that they go through. So, so at least I have someone in the house who understands the dynamic of being a writer, um, who can help me if I'm thinking of, of an idea or if I'm working through problems in the story, there's someone I can go to and say, you know, what, how do I solve this problem? What about this? Mm-hmm. What about that? Um, so, so, you know, the pluses far outweigh the minuses, but, um, but yeah, it would be nice, you know, sometimes, you know, people probably should be, would be better off marrying an engineer who's making a lot of money and, and you're just a free to write, uh, well, that person brings home the paycheck and supports you, but I don't know how many people have that deal in the world. Yeah. That's a hard deal to get. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. you're a college professor. And so here's the rub. It's like you work a full-time job. How do you have time to write? Well, the benefit of being a college professor is that um, I have to write and publish in order to get tenure or to become a full professor. So, so that's kind of built into the job, this expectation that I am going to write, uh, write and publish. And then, um, 
you know, I, I have some summers off. Uh, I don't teach in the summer. So there's some time in the summer that's just uninterrupted. And um, we get a nice break at the holidays. So, you know, between between all those things, you know, the breaks and, and the expectation of publishing and everything, uh, I managed to find the time to do it. Uh, like you said, I don't have kids. So that, that's, uh, that frees up a little bit of time. I'm not, you know, I'm not running around uh, after a teenager, I'm not driving anybody to soccer practice or anything like that. So that frees up a little time too. So, so, you know, the, the schedule works out pretty well in terms of being able to juggle, uh, the teaching and the writing and everything else I try to do in life. So what do you, what is your, I guess your, your mode of writing, you know, do you write as it comes to you? Uh, do you have a set time that you, have a discipline. What what is that process like for you? Yeah, I mean, I try to I try to um, when I'm really in the middle of something, I try to write every day or, or at least six days a week, you know. Um, and I try I, I I go for a walk in the morning, um, and um, and as I take this walk, I'm thinking about what I'm going to write that day. So I know. You know, because I have an outline and I know what's going on in the book, I know that I'm going to write X chapter today and, and this thing is going to happen. So I'll take a walk in the morning and think about the things that I want to have happen. And then when I come back uh, and I sit down and write that, then I feel like I'm, I'm pretty well prepared to do it. Uh, and I try to write, a, you know, a few chapters a day. It might be end up being 1500 words it might be 2000 words or so um but but i just try to think a little bit of a little bit of writing every day will eventually get someone to a novel right that that mm -hmm. if you just sit down and say oh my gosh i have to write 400 pages that's really daunting but if mm -hmm. you say i have to write five pages a day for x number of days or something like that then that's a lot more manageable you know you're only writing one or two percent of the book every day and if you do that for a certain number of days then guess what you've got a book so mm -hmm. so i i try to just think of it in those smaller increments these these chapters little few chapters at a time and then i get to the finish line uh, what are your what are your tools or utensils of writing? Do you have something to capture your thoughts? If you're not able to uh, get to your your computer, do you, you use a laptop or a desktop? What is your preferred uh, uh, method of of uh, I guess uh, idea capture? And then uh, what tools do you use to implement? Well, I do I do have um, little spiral notebooks that I'll carry around with me. Um, and sometimes keep by the side of the bed in case some idea occurs to me in the middle of the night uh, or, or if I'm just out, I'm at work or I'm whatever, I can write something down. Um, the problem is, is that the older I get, the more my handwriting deteriorates. Um, and so I, you know, that I went to Catholic school growing up and we got grades on penmanship. And, and if my grade school teachers saw my handwriting now, uh, they'd wrap me over the head with a ruler or something. So, so I have to make sure I can read my own writing because nobody else can read it. Uh, but then when it comes time to actually write, 
yeah, I have to do it on a on a laptop because first of all, I can't. No one would be able to read my handwriting, and it would be too slow and whatever. Uh, I don't know how people wrote books before computers and word processors. I know for most of history, that's how people wrote books. Yeah. You know, I, we've had we've had word processors for a much shorter time than people have been writing books. But so I don't know how they did it. I don't know how Tolstoy wrote War and Peace with a pen. I don't know how they did this. I would not be, I would not make it if that were the case. So, so I definitely, I wouldn't make it. I definitely need the, the computer where you can move text around and erase things easily. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't have made it in the 19th century. I don't think. Um, well, we're glad that you made it now, uh, in the, here in the 21st, but what, what, um, how do you let, a book go how do you let uh, you know how do, how do you know it's done when you know you've written seven of these you know this is your eighth uh novel is that right uh this is the springer home is the seventh one with uh berkeley and the eighth one is coming out next year okay so so you've got eight you've, you've got eight in the pocket here uh, how do yeah. you let go of a story i mean i think that every writer on earth would write, would work on the book as long as they were allowed to. I mean, I think if, if every writer didn't, if writers didn't have deadlines, they'd all, we'd all just be writing one book our entire lives because mm -hmm. we'd keep tinkering with it. So I think you, you need an editor to come along at some point and say, okay, you know, this has to, you have to send this to me on September 1st and that's it. Um, and so that's, that's really how you know that it's time to let go is when, when someone else comes along and says, okay, it's, it's done. We've done everything we can do. We got to get it, get it into production. Or we've got to get moving because otherwise I think writers would constantly go back and look at, look at what they've done and say, ah, I could make this better. I could fix this chapter. I could fix this ending. I could fix this, whatever. Um, so, so I think it's a requirement that you have that other person who's a little more objective who steps in and says, all right, Let's move along now. Let's let's get this. Let's get on to the next part here. With your character development, it's, you know, it's like you're right there with the person. You become the person. You see everything through their eyes. You 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 sense the smells and the environment and the visuals. Um, how do, what is your process? How do you go about developing uh, your characters uh, in, in your work? Well, I mean, I just, you know, I think people who are writers are always observing human behavior. We're always observing other people and thinking about what motivates people to do what they do. Uh, and we analyze and try to understand other people's behaviors. We're all, writers are like psychologists, you know, without, without licenses to practice psychology, I think. And so, so I'm constantly doing that and thinking about why people do what they do so that when I'm writing a story, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in that mindset, you know, what, what is the, how would a person respond to this? How would this particular person respond to the things that happen? And I think, I think character development is really essential to a book, regardless of, of whether it's a thriller or, or anything else, because I think it's the characters who, who make the plot happen, that, that, that different characters would lead to a different story. So mm -hmm. you really have to understand who the characters are, 
in order for the events to play out um, the way you think they're going to play out. So, um, so yeah, it's just a lot of observing people, a lot of, lot of just thinking about human behavior, which is human behavior, as we all know, is a weird, complex, complicated subject. There's really, there's really no such thing as, as human nature, because anything that a human can do is human nature and humans are capable of doing lots of different things. So, Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of the fun part is, is thinking about who are these people and making these people come to life and, and examining the relationships between them and the difficulties between them. It's, it's fun because it's, it's controlled in the book, whereas Mm -hmm. in the real world, you can't control what everybody does and people do strange things. So, um, so the book is a nice controlled lab experiment about how people behave. Um, from your first, how long ago was it that you wrote your first novel and released, uh, was able to release your first novel? The first one that came out with Berkeley came out in 2011. So that was, but that was not the first one I wrote. I mean, I wrote four unpublished books before I, I ever had one published. So I, I was practicing for a long time. But yeah, it's been 2011 was when the first one came out with Berkeley. So how have you evolved and changed uh, as a writer and as, and as a person uh, since 2011 to now going on 2018? I think I have learned a lot about writing because I've been working so closely. I've had the same agent and the same editor for all of these books. Mm. So I've learned, I've learned a lot from both of them, from, from their, you know, what they have taught me about the business, what they've taught me about telling stories. So, so that, that has been a huge benefit to me. Um, And I think that, I think every writer when they sit down to tell a story and they stare at the blank page, I think Mm -hmm. it, it's a little terrifying to everybody. And I think it doesn't matter if you've written five books or 500 books. I think it's a little scary to sit there and look at the blank page. Mm-hmm. What, what I, what, what the benefit that I get from having written now, uh, had a number of books come out is that there's just a little more confidence that I can get it done. You know, like when mm-hmm. I was writing my first book or publishing the first book, I didn't have anything to fall back on. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't just say, well, come on, you've done this many times before. Now I kind of have that to fall back on. I can say, okay, I didn't, I, I didn't get a brain transplant. I didn't suffer brain damage. I should be able to do this again because I've done it before. Um, so I just think there's that little bit of, of confidence that that little bit of a boost that 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 experience gives to a writer the more time passes it doesn't it doesn't solve all the problems but there's just like you know two percent of confidence there to help boost someone as they start down the road of writing a new book so i have that to fall back on now so with the deadlines of producing a of producing a, a novel and you know do do you suffer from the 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 pressure or the stress of like okay you know I'm I'm writing bestsellers here you know it's almost like uh, a musician is like uh, you know I'm on my seventh album 
you know, can I make it as good as the first one? Can I can I write another you know hit? Can I get another Grammy? Do you go through those pressures as a as a writer as an author? I think that writers always want to do better. I think writers always want to to push themselves further than they've gone before. Uh, it would be boring if I just did the same thing over and over again. So, so I have to try to find new, new things to explore, new ways of telling a story, new characters, new ideas. And, and again, this is a benefit of having an agent and an editor and people around me who say, um, you know, I'll come on, you know, you've done that before. You can't write another story about this or you've, or you've done something similar before. So mm-hmm. as long as there are people kind of pushing me and as long as I'm pushing myself um, and as long as, as we are, are always trying to do a little better, a little better and go a little further and a little further, then I think, I think we can. Uh, but yeah, that is a pressure. That is a pressure to say, um, I, I don't want someone to say, oh, you know, the best book you wrote was 10 years ago or whatever. Uh, I want to feel like every time out, I'm getting a little better. I'm learning some things and trying some new things. Um, that's what we all have to keep pushing ourselves to do. Uh, so what's next for you? Uh, you, got a, you got another one coming out in 2018. Is that right? Yeah, my the new one uh, that I just finished um, will be out in July of 2018, and that is called Somebody's Daughter, and that's about a guy who is uh, happily married, and he's sitting in his house one night, and someone rings the doorbell, and it is his ex-wife, who he was very briefly married to, and he hasn't seen in 10 years, and she says, I need your help because my daughter has disappeared and he says why do you need my help and she says because surprise she's your daughter and uh, she was conceived right before we split up and i never told you about her so this guy has to this guy has to yeah the kind of the kind of uh ringing of the doorbell no person wants to have um and so this guy has to decide, do I go with my ex-wife who might be lying to me about this whole thing mm. um, and risk my current marriage and current happy life? Um, but if this child, if there's a chance that this child really is mine and she's missing and in danger, I want to get my butt out there and and help her because the, the main character um, – has something in his past about a child who died that he still feels responsible for. Um, so, so he has a lot of complicated stuff going on about, about a child in danger. And so, so he's got to answer that question. Do I go? And if I go, what am I getting myself into here? Wow. This is, that's awesome. That's, that's something to look forward to as well. That's a great, that's a great plot right there. Um, Obviously, the book "Bring Her Home" is available on on Amazon and the bookstores. Uh, how can people get in contact with you? I know you teach writing and and and, and things of sorts. Do you have something virtually or extended from your uh, professorship that 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 you allow for the general population? Well, I'm on um, I'm on all the social media stuff: Facebook, 
Twitter, Instagram. It's just David Bell Novels. Um, and my website is davidbellnovels.com. So I love it when people read the books and reach out to me in one of those places and ask me questions or whatever. And um, when they go to those places, they can find out the things I'm doing, if I'm doing an event somewhere or if I have a new book coming out or whatever. Uh, So definitely look me up on social media or through the website, and I'd be happy to hear from people. Fantastic. David, thanks for being with me. I want you to come back, especially with that one that's coming out in July 2018. That's going to be huge. Uh, You totally rock. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, and I'd be happy to talk anytime. This was fun. All right, buddy. Take care, everybody. We'll see you. Well, we won't see you because this is not my video show. This is my radio show. We'll we'll talk to you guys again uh, soon on the Fleet Matthews radio show. Take care, everybody.